Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Tuesday, June 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Now that the Supreme Court has struck down Roe v. Wade, questions are swirling about what could be next. Concerns have been expressed about a nationwide ban on abortion, but while it could be possible, the road to get there is difficult. More Republican gains would have to be made in controlling Congress and the presidency, which is why Democrats are using the decision to call on voters to support them. Nicole Nerea, politics reporter at Vox, joins us for more. Next, could Q be back? After more than 18 months of silence, the leader of the QAnon conspiracy theory has returned online with three posts asking if people want to play the game again and are you ready to serve your country again? Stuart Thompson, Reporter at the New York Times covering disinformation joins us for what to know about the latest Q drops and what his return could mean for many who subscribe to his conspiracy theories. Finally, burnout and the struggle to maintain a better work-life balance is also showing up at the highest levels in the workplace. According to a recent survey, 70% of C-suite executives say they may seriously want to resign for a job that supports their well-being better. Jennifer Kingston, chief correspondent at Axios, joins us for how even your boss wants to quit. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. When they work on babies that have not been born yet, that those babies are patients. So they define them as patients, and if they defend patients' rights, they should be defining and defending that life that's in the womb as well. Joining us now is Nicole Norea, politics reporter at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Nicole. Thanks so much for having me. Well, the country is still uh, uh, processing all that's going on after the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. You know, there's a lot of questions about what happens next. We've already seen a bunch of states start activating these trigger laws that would ban abortions. There's some states that had laws predating Roe v. Wade. So all of that's kind of undergoing that process of it. But some of the other questions, you know, what happens in the future? There are Republicans out there that are eyeing a nationwide abortion ban. And, uh, you know, it looks like the roadmap and the math for that is a little difficult at this time, but we're heading into the midterm elections. You know, there's a presidential election two years after that, and the conversations are swirling. So, Nicole, what are we seeing with all this? As you said, it's very fluid right now, um, and there's a lot of intermediate steps that would need to occur before Republicans would be able to implement a nationwide ban. But 
importantly, you know, this decision that we got from the Supreme Court doesn't say anything about whether the federal government can ban abortion. So it very much leaves the door open um, to these things that Republicans are saying. And that's not to say that the justices won't strike down any nationwide ban that Republicans enact, but it's definitely, you know, not a possibility that we can rule out at this point. So we've been seeing for months now, you know, among anti-abortion advocates, that they've been pushing Republicans to embrace a nationwide ban as part of their platform in 2025. That's assuming that they have control of Congress and the White House at that point. We've seen key Republican leaders like former Vice President Mike Pence and House Republican leaders Kevin McCarthy, Jim Banks, and Jim Jordan supporting the idea of a total nationwide ban or a more limited 15-week nationwide ban. That second option is probably the one that's more likely to get traction since the vast majority of Americans think that abortion should be legal under at least some circumstances. But, you know, again, it's the question of political feasibility here. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that math, about what it would take to get there, because we're going into the midterms. We've already seen that House Republicans are poised to maybe take over on that front. In the Senate, you know, we'll see exactly what happens there. There could be a majority for Republicans there. But even still, the the majorities are going to be very slim. And President Biden will still be in office for another two years. If something does pass there, he'll veto that right away. So in the Senate, if Republicans were to get control they would still need 60 votes to clear the filibuster. So right now, as projected, they're not going to have that kind of majority. Of course, they could always eliminate the filibuster altogether. And that's been a step that Democrats have been so far unwilling to do to codify abortion rights. But you're right, you know, even if it would pass under that scheme, it would still be presumably vetoed by a Democratic president. However, if a Republican president selected in 2024, then they probably wouldn't face that same veto risk. So I think right now that that's why this horizon is focused on 2025 when there could potentially be a Republican in the White House. How does Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell figure into this? Because when we're whenever we're talking about legislation, the deals that are being worked on, I mean, he's such an important figure there in the Senate. And, you know, he can derail plans pretty easily by just keeping things off the books. How does he figure into some of these conversations? Yeah, you know, he's been kind of tepid on the issue. Um, he's acknowledged that it would be possible. At least that was what he said after the draft opinion leaked in May. But he's said basically that it probably wouldn't pass the Senate um, where it would need to clear the filibuster. So that may be some acknowledgement on his part that the political calculus for for, for Republicans here is not good if they try to embrace a nationwide ban. Because, you know, this, this isn't a popular, a broadly popular policy. Most Americans believe that abortion should be legal under at least some circumstances. And, you know, I, I think for that reason, sort of reticent to go further than they, than they already have. But again, it's, it's not something that we can roll out here. Yeah, the numbers are pretty high when uh, it comes to the public and, you know, the large percentages in some polls, right, 85 percent, up to 85 percent, think abortion should be legal in some or all cases. So we know that this has been a, a conservative movement uh, for a long time, the anti-abortion movement. Right. It's taken the 50 years that it has taken to overturn Roe v. Wade. But for them, it's the long game. And they've been pretty successful very lately. What does this do to Democrats? Because that's the other political side. Right. A lot of people are saying, could this be that energizing moment that they get going into the midterms? We've already seen President Biden even say outright Roe is on the ballot in this sense. You know, you got to put elected officials that uh, would do something to uh, maybe not overturn it, but at least uh, go the other way, create legislation to provide more access. Yeah, I mean, I think the consensus that I'm hearing from at least GOP strategists is that 
this isn't really a, a good thing for them electorally heading into the midterms. I think it's still probably going to be a very good year for Republicans, but there's concern among Republicans that this is going to be an issue that mobilizes Democrats and encourages higher turnout than there might have been otherwise. But, you know, I think we still have to remember it's a long time before November, and we still kind of have to wait to see to determine how effectively Democrats can actually mobilize their base around this and and how long they can sustain outrage around this. But again, I don't think that there's anything that Republicans need to be gained from really leaning into this heading into the midterms. They've already delivered for the people who have been waiting for this for decades. And I don't think they see much use in, in, in sort of making it the focus of their campaign. But if Democrats are putting it front and center in there, then I think there's no avoiding sort of addressing it on the, on the campaign trail. But I, I think it also just depends on how much national Democrats are willing to do that. Nicole Nerea, politics reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Polling did show maybe like millions of people believed in the core tenets of Q. And that energy since has been put into different directions. But there's been kind of a rumbling of QAnon activity ever since. Joining us now is Stuart Thompson, reporter at the New York Times covering disinformation. Thanks for joining us, Stuart. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, an interesting thing's going on right now. Could Q be back? Could the leader of the QAnon conspiracy theory be back in action on Friday, this past Friday, as we were going through all the fallout from the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade on the website 8kun, there was a three postings by the, this uh, QAnon leader. He goes by Q, obviously. And, you know, right away it sends everybody into a tizzy thinking, you know, what's going on? What are we going to get back? Uh, you know, are there going to be more drops. So, Stuart, tell us a little bit about what we saw on Friday and then uh, kind of what this means after that. Yeah, I mean, the QAnon character, Q, has been gone since December 2020, and it took a lot of researchers by surprise when the post showed up on Friday saying, uh, I think it was, Let's, are you ready to play the game again? It's been one of those times uh, echoing some previous posts and uh, the movie War Games. And yeah, that was a surprising turn of events. We didn't expect to see Q back necessarily at all. And coming at an interesting time for the country, obviously, the Supreme Court rulings last week culminating in the abortion decision was already kind of exciting the QAnon communities online because they kind of look at any any change, any new law, any kind of disruption to the country as a potential sign that some of Q's prophecies are going to come true. And it sort of dropped on Friday. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was unexpected. I think yeah. interesting, another layer that's kind of interesting is some of the characters involved in Q. Ron Watkins, the guy that's believed to be behind Q, potentially, you know, he's running a congressional race that's doing poorly. It's going to end in August 2nd, so kind of fortuitous timing for him as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'll get into him a little bit, just to, a little more on how he figures into all of this. But, uh, you know, just taking a step back even, right, this whole QAnon conspiracy theory, they think that this person Q is either somebody involved, was somebody involved in the Trump administration 
or in the military. And obviously they're trying to um, arrest a secret cabal of pedophiles and Democrats involved in all of this. I mean, this was kind of the basis for it. But the QAnon conspiracy theory and the people that really devoted themselves to all of this, I mean, really, really took off. I mean, we saw it culminate on the January 6th Capitol riots. A lot of the people there were wearing Q shirts, Q sent me, you know, all this other stuff. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. Yeah, it did. Like, uh, you know, if you go back to Pizzagate, which is this idea that there's a basement of a pizza parlor where there's supposedly some child sexual abuse happening, that's kind of the origins of the whole movement. And then it grew from there with, you know, the appearance of Q and kind of glomming onto a lot of those narratives that are popular in community circles. And then, as you mentioned, January 6th, to me, is kind of the the apex of the movement, you know, Q had stopped posting by then, but it was the biggest show of force uh, in real life that we've probably seen from the Q community. And uh, it kind of ebbed after that, and people were trying to figure out what to do. But polling did show you know, maybe like millions of people believed in the core tenets of Q. And that energy since has been put into different directions, yeah. but there's been kind of a rumbling of QAnon activity ever since. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now. If Q's back, is that going to pull people back in who felt a little dejected by the prophecies, the main prophecies about arresting people and holding public trials and things like that not coming true? You know, a lot of people kind of drifted away and went into other things. There was so much surrounding, you know, uh, President Trump coming back into power, uh, mass arrests being made, and all of that fell flat. Nothing happened, right? And Q disappeared. I think it was 18 months or something since the last drop that we've had. And the people that follow this, you know, glom onto any little writing, any little cryptic message, and they create whole stories out of it. And that's really what happened. There was somebody that asked Q, why were you gone for so long? It had to be done this way is how we responded. That was one of the posts. I mean, it's so simple mm-hmm. of an answer, you know, but yeah. people will take that and run with it at that point. Yeah, they're going to fill it in. And that's the participatory nature of QAnon and part of its powers that people can create more as they interpret the writings and play a role in shaping the whole thing. I think that one thing around January 6th that maybe didn't breach the popular consciousness that much was, I mean, in QAnon communities, people thought that rally would be the culmination point where Trump would take to the stage and instead of repeating a bunch of lies about the election, he would announce the arrest and people would be brought out that day. Like, that was a pretty strong belief in the community. So when he gets up on stage and just starts giving his normal kind of stunt speech about the election, people are pretty disappointed in that. And, you know, some of that outrage plays out from there. But that's what Q does. It's it's vague on purpose, and it's a pretty powerful conspiracy in that way. Stuart Thompson, reporter at the New York Times covering disinformation. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. What's been known popularly as the Great Resignation, where the rank and file tells their employers to take this job and do you know what with it, is being called the Great Reshuffle in the C-suite, where the people in the corner office are quietly putting out calls to headhunters to say, hey, can you find something where I can have a little bit better work-life balance? Joining us now is Jennifer Kingston, Chief Correspondent at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. Great to be here, Oscar. Well, I wanted to talk about the news story you wrote up. It seems like nobody wants to work anymore. This one has this concerning our bosses, uh, uh, most uh, notably in the C-suite level of executives. You know, we're seeing, uh, according to a new uh, survey, 70% of them really say they they seriously might resign for another job that better supports their well-being. It's been that common theme that we've been hearing throughout the great resignation, the great reshuffling, whatever you want to call it, people just looking for that better work-life balance. So now it's uh, extending into the C-suite level. Tell us a little bit about it. Even our bosses are so burned out, they're looking to quit, Oscar. It's really remarkable. What's been known popularly as the great resignation, where the rank and file tells their employers to take this job and do you-know-what with it, is being called the great reshuffle in the C-suite, where the people in the corner office are quietly putting out calls to headhunters to say, hey, can you find something where I can have a little bit better work-life balance? This is particularly pronounced among women executives who are you know, leaving in droves as the pandemic shows them that uh, they have different priorities in life. It's a pretty remarkable shift in our workplace habits. What was interesting about it, too, from this uh, this survey that we got, a lot of the higher-ups are saying the pandemic really negatively affected them, and they're just willing to leave to improve their own thing. They're not even looking for advancing their careers, per se. They just want to make sure they're doing okay by themselves. This survey by Deloitte showed had some remarkable findings because uh, they surveyed uh, a little over a 1,000 C-suite executives and the same number of rank-and-file employees and found a big disconnect. Well, there was roughly this parity in the number of people in the high up positions and the lower down ones who said that they were feeling exhausted, stressed, overwhelmed, lonely, depressed. 
there was a big discrepancy between how well the C-suite executives, the CEO types, thought their people were doing and how the people themselves said they were doing. So the bosses thought that folks were doing pretty well, and the lower down folks said, no, and they're not listening to us. We're not doing as well as they think. Now, the feeling that the CEOs have that they themselves are under such stress and pressure is prompting them to think about uh, putting in more workplace wellness programs, everything from better child care and paid time off and more mental health support on down. But they've been slow to do that. And frankly, in an economic downturn, such programs are often considered niceties and sometimes get yeah. left on the cutting room table. So 91% of these C-suite executives say they saw themselves as caring leaders, but just 56% of the workers thought that the bosses cared anything about their well-being. That could be a byproduct of, you know, people beneath them just not being communicative about it. But that's a huge disconnect where you're thinking you're strolling along doing well and your people are struggling. What's interesting is there's a huge generational component to this. The Deloitte folks who did this survey broke it out amongst C-suite executives and found a huge difference in baby boomers, millennials, and even the number of Gen Z folks they polled with younger people very pronouncedly more likely to say that they were themselves health savvy, that they'd taken steps to help employees disconnect, that they were transparent about their own well-being, that they uh, take breaks during the workday or don't check emails after work. You know, these are not traditional CEO activities. Uh, you're paid the big bucks to be able to suck it up and, and do all that work. But lately, and, you know, driven by the culture of Gen Z and the priorities of the younger generation, things seem to be shifting. Yeah, that's an interesting one right there. You know, they're being paid the big bucks for this you know that's what they're paid for to do to take on that extra stress to be a leader to run companies you know that's a tough one for a lot of people underneath to balance because you know they're they're getting paid we we all know the big pay disparities that we hear about so I, i'm sure that figures into a lot for people underneath thinking well you know that could be bs you know that they're feeling so stressed out that's what they're there for that's what they're there for. And, and the headhunters I spoke to said, you know, the C-suite is an island. They have to project strength at the same time, being sympathetic to everyone who works for them. And mental health is still a taboo subject in the corner office. While those taboos are coming down, you don't really want to, uh, you know, work for someone who says, you know, I'm, I'm having a breakdown here. Bear with me. So they don't have uh, as many outlets as others to take advantage of, of the programs that, that the folks who work for them might like to see ha see uh, as support for everyone involved. And, and more stressful times could be in the way, right? We're hearing a lot right now uh, about what's going on with inflation, fears of a recession. A lot of companies are on hiring freezes. They're rescinding job offers in some cases, cutting the, the workforce. So this is just going to be an increasingly frustrating time, for, especially for these higher-ups. Absolutely. The pandemic, it seems to be giving way to what could turn into a recession. And that's that would be a one-two punch uh, that we won't, don't want to see and that would undermine whatever efforts are underway to make everybody feel better uh, from a burnout perspective. Jennifer Kingston, Chief Correspondent at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to talk to you. Thanks. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.